Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc. Or you can join us for one of our Sunday gatherings each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.30 a.m. A little over two months ago, I stood on this stage and I delivered a message to you as we kicked off 2018 called Rooted. And we talked about living lives that are rooted in truth, that are grounded in the truth of God's Word. And uh, as we kicked off 2018, we said this together that we really live in a world that is so unstable. Is it not? Turn on the news for about 30 seconds. All right, we live in an incredibly unstable world. And so one of the only ways for us to find a life of stability to be rooted and grounded is to base it on the truth of God's word. And so as a part of that message, as we kicked off 2018, if you're with us, I introduced to you uh, what we call the Life Journal Bible Reading Plan and also the Life Journal. And and the Life Journal was introduced and and created as a way for us together as a big spiritual family to walk through either the New Testament or all of God's Word together in 2018. And I just want to say to you today, some 60 days removed from that day, that it has been so amazing to walk watch from my uh, vantage point over our family to see just so many people taking steps to get engaged with not just the life journal, but to be engaged with God's word. Um, I've heard about couples who have begin begin to do the life journal together. Um, I've heard about men who are listening to the life journal, reading through the Bible app on their long commute to work. And I've watched men's groups and women's groups and couples groups and all sorts of groups of our life groups dive into the truth of God's word together. And it's been so cool to hear the reports of group leaders who are watching people connect and then begin to learn and discover God's words for themselves. It's amazing, all right? And so I encourage you to keep it up, keep it up. Um, But as a part of that message on January 7th, if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go back and watch it on our website. I introduce you to a very simple method where you can study God's word, you can read a chapter of scripture and pull something out of it and begin to apply it to your life. You don't have to be a a preacher, you don't have to go to seminary, but for you to take God's word and then begin to apply it so that you root your life in truth. And also as a part of that message on January 7th, I I promised you that we would have some Sundays throughout 2018 where we would teach from the Life Journal. We'd teach from one of the readings for the day. And so today is one of those days. It's the first of those days in this year. So today we're going to teach from, I'm going to teach from the New Testament reading plan, which is Mark chapter 4. So if you have a copy of Scripture, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 4 with me today. If you've already done your reading for today in Mark 4, then guess what? You're ahead of the game. Okay, you're going to preach to me here in just a little bit. It's going to be awesome. I know you didn't know you're signing up for that, but it's going to be really good. No, Mark chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. And uh, here's just the really cool part about God. As we begin to plan out our series for the year, um, this is a day where we're like, hey, we want to return to the Life Journal. We're going to teach from the Life Journal on this day. Well, if you remember all the way back to January 7th, which I know nobody does, but on that day, I actually preached from Mark chapter 4. And if you're in the reading plan for today, the reading plan for today in the New Testament is Mark chapter 4. And so, man, God just so cool in his sovereignty to lay that out. Now, I'm not going to preach the same message that I did on January 7th, but we're going to dig into Mark chapter 4. So if you have a hard copy or digital copy, love for you to open it up in your lap. If not, we'll put the verses on the screen behind me. For you to follow along. Now, the basis, the foundation for our message today is going to be this right here. The reality that we all face the storms of life. We all face the storms of life. None of us, no matter how old or experienced we are, no one gets an exception from the difficulties of life. 
And so maybe for you, maybe your storm has looked like a divorce, or maybe it's been a health struggle, or maybe it was an addiction or depression or the loss of someone that you loved, or maybe it's tension at work or tension at home, or maybe even internally right now or at some point you have come to that place of asking, what is my real purpose in life? Because I don't know that what I'm living for right now is working. You see, this, when it comes to the storms of life, it's not a matter of if, but it's a matter of when. And chances are either you just walked out of a storm of life or maybe you're in some midst of turmoil and storm right now or maybe there's one coming and you have no idea because you can't see it. You see, with the storms of life, you can't pull up like you can the Weather Channel app and see the storm coming. But Scripture tells us over and over that they are there. And the unfortunate truth is rarely are we prepared for the storms of life. And so often they catch us off guard and they overwhelm us. And so in Mark 4 today, my hope is to help you see a story that reminds us that not only are the storms of life going to come, they will, but that there is an anchor in the midst of the storm, an anchor that we can link our lives onto that is stable and secure and firm and founded, and his name is Jesus. In Mark chapter 4, if you've read the context there, Jesus has been teaching to a large crowd. The crowd got so big um, that he had to get in a boat and go away from the land to teach back to the land because there's so many people. But he's done with his teaching, and so now he begins to give some instructions to his disciples. And so I want you to look with me, Mark chapter 4. We're going to go to the very end of our passage, and we're going to start in verse 35. And my hope today is that as we look at this experience, that you would begin to see some characteristics of Jesus' nature in the storm. And that as through seeing who Jesus is, that you would begin to realize there's hope for you in whatever you may be walking through today. So Mark chapter 4, verse 35 says this. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, hey, let's go over to the other side. And so leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were other boats with him. Verse 37, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Now let's stop right there. So Jesus is done teaching his disciples. So he tells them, hey, guys, let's hop in the boat. We're going to go over together to the other side of the water, away from the crowds, and find a place to rest. Now, the Sea of Galilee that they were looking to cross was about 13 miles long, and it was about 8 miles wide at its widest part. Now, it's believed that this kind of part where Jesus and the disciples are going to cross is probably about 5 miles wide. And so Jesus says, hey, guys, let's get in the boat. Let's get away from the crowd. Let's find a place of silence and solitude away from the crowd. And Mark says in his recording of the gospel, he says, as they're traveling in the boat, it wasn't just just a storm came up, but the NIV that we just read, Mark says it was a squall, okay? Now, just honest with you today, in my Rankin County vocabulary that I use, all right, I don't typically label the thunderstorms a squall. Like, I, I've not looked at my wife over the last 30 days when it seemingly rained every single day and been like, babe, yep, I think that one's a squall out there today, all right? Like, we, I've used some other language, all right, toad strangler, raining cats and dogs, it's a gully washer, but Mark says it was a squall, which we're just going to interpret as it was bad. All right, it was severe. It was intense. And the boat began to take on water, and the waves began to rise. And in this moment, here's the first truth that I want us to understand about the character of Jesus in the midst of the storm. And that is this, that Jesus wasn't surprised by the storm. Jesus wasn't surprised by the storm. 
Now, the Sea of Galilee, just to give you some context, was situated kind of in this basin that was surrounded by mountains. And so there would be cool air that would blow in, and it would interact with the hot air, the warm air above the water. And so there would be thunderstorms that would pop up pretty occasionally, and they would overwhelm, and they would take boaters or fishermen by surprise. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. See, we read in Colossians 1 in the New Testament that all things have been created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, him being Jesus. In other words, there is nothing in creation that surprises God, because he plays a role not only in the creation of all things, but in the sustaining of all things. Scripture tells us that our God is omniscient. He is all-knowing, even down to the numbers of hairs on your head. God's locked in. God's never woken up on a Monday morning and been like, whoa, didn't see that coming. God is not surprised by the storm. So if Jesus created the heavens and the earth, then I'm sorry, our local guy, David Hartman, but Jesus is the best predictor of the weather. He knew it. And in this moment, Jesus wasn't surprised by the storm. On the other hand, and for you and me, when we think about our lives quite often, we are surprised by the storms of life, are we not? Right? Mom and dad, maybe you didn't see that layoff coming, or you didn't know the relationship was going to fall apart that quickly, or you couldn't predict that the financial struggle was going to leave you where it is. Parents, you couldn't predict or know that your child was going to make the decisions that they did that you had no idea would be coming. See, quite often we get surprised by the storms of life, but the storms never surprise God. See, he knows all and sees all and is in all. And so therefore, there's nothing that has been done or that has happened to you or me that takes God by surprise. Now, Jesus knew the storm was coming across the Sea of Galilee, but notice that it didn't keep him from telling the disciples to get in the boat. I mean, you would think that if Jesus knew this and he's like, hey, the squall's going to be setting in, that at that point he would have probably been like, hey, guys, why don't we wait a couple hours? Like, let's let, let's let the squall pass through and then we'll get in the boat. Or why don't we find another place to rest, another place of solitude? But it's not what Jesus did. See, Jesus didn't get in the boat and like, hey, guys, why don't we go out to the middle of the Sea of Galilee and let's perish there together? All right, let's, this is going to be the end. No, Jesus gave him a promise, didn't he? And he said, hey, guys, let's cross over to the other side. Now, for you and me, somewhere along the way, so many people got confused into believing that following Jesus is the easy life that it's the easy route, that if I check all the boxes and do all the right things, then it's all supposed to fall in place. And I find nowhere in Scripture where Jesus says that following him would be easy. He says it's obedient, it's right, but he says sometimes it will involve storms. And sometimes the storms will be severe and intense. But in Christ, we can take heart that Jesus is never, ever, not once, never will be surprised by the storm. And so for you today, man, if you stand in Christ but maybe you would say, today I stand in a storm of life. Take heart, take hope today, that although you may be surprised by whatever it is, Jesus is not. He's never been surprised by the storm. But if we look back at our story, pick up with me in verse 37. It says, in Mark 4, furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drowned? Now, let's stop right there for a minute. Jesus knew the storm was coming. We just said that. So apparently he viewed this opportunity like many of you view a thunderstorm 
as a great opportunity to take a nap, right? How many of you are thunderstorm nappers? Like, you're just hoping there would be one that maybe would set in this afternoon, just randomly, so you could get a couple of hours, right? Jesus apparently was a thunderstorm napper. And I don't know, like he says he was in the stern. I'm not sure what kind of mattress Jesus had in the boat, but I'm just imagining the boat is rocking. And so maybe Jesus had one of those fancy ones, you know, like you've seen the commercials where the person's sleeping on this side and the kid's like jumping up and down on this side. And it's just, it's not disturbing them. It's got the right sleep number. Okay, I don't know what Jesus had, but he's out. The, the, the disciples are in the middle of the night, in the middle of the boat, in the middle of the water, and the storm is there and Jesus is gone. He's like, boys, I got to catch up on some sleep, and he's out. And we get even more insight into the severity of this storm because we have to begin to factor in that some of the men on this boat, some of the disciples, they were experienced fishermen who had probably spent hours and hours in a boat, probably on even this body of water. They knew it, some of them, like the back of their hand. But in this moment, they're curled up in the corner crying like a little kid because they're fearing for their life. And they were overwhelmed. So you can imagine that being the experienced boaters that they were, you have to think, well, they probably did everything that they knew to do, right? They adjusted the sails and they rowed harder or they moved the cargo around. They did everything in their control. Follow me. They did everything in their control to try to control the boat. But they weren't stronger than the power of the wind and the waves. And so in their moment of desperation, when everything else did not work, they begin to ask the question, where's Jesus? Is he still on the boat? Where's Jesus? And they go and they wake him up from his nap. And what do they say? Jesus, what are you doing? Like, are you aware of what's going on outside? And then they ask this question, don't you care if we drown? Like, do you care, Jesus, if we drown? Maybe, maybe you're there, or maybe you've, maybe you've been there before, where the storm of life becomes so real and so difficult, the situation, the relationship, the circumstance, and it got so strong and so overwhelming that it brought you to that point where you begin to do, like the disciples, you did everything you knew to do, right? Maybe at first you did everything you could. You tried to reconcile it your way. You tried to stand strong in your strength, you tried to work harder in your power, and maybe you tried counseling, and you tried to seek advice, but nothing seemed to help. And so, like the disciples, when all else failed, you did the only thing left to do, and you begin to look to God to go, God, where are you? God, have you lost sight of my story? Are you aware that there's a storm here? And maybe you've even asked in some way, God, don't, don't you care if I drown? Do you care? Maybe like the disciples, fears gripped you at some point, and the only thing left to do is to question the person who's supposed to be in charge, who's supposed to know what's happening. But notice in this moment as the disciples question Jesus, look at Jesus' response to the disciples. Here it is, verse 39, Mark 4. He got up, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, here are three words, quiet, be still. And the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Now, here's the second truth I want you to see about Jesus and the storm, that Jesus wasn't overpowered by the storm. Jesus wasn't overpowered by the storm. In three words, we read them, three words, the same Savior who had created the wind and the waves stopped the wind and the waves. And he calmed the storm. 
And I think Jesus could be knocked out. Jesus could be asleep because he knew he was never overpowered by the storm. Now, these disciples had seen Jesus heal and teach and perform miracles, and they had seen literally firsthand some of the things that we read about that so many people never, ever saw. But in this moment, they seemingly had forgotten the power of Jesus that they had previously witnessed, and they began to doubt God's plan and his power. These disciples demonstrated this right here, that it's possible to be close to the work of Jesus and still not fully trust him. Some of you need to write that down. I'm going to say it again. It's possible to be close to the work of Jesus and still not fully trust him. In other words, it's possible for you to walk in today and the power of God's spirit to be here and the truth of God's word to be sung and the truth of God's word to be proclaimed and you to walk out the same as you walked in. It's possible to be close to the things of God but not trust him. And if you think hard enough, no matter, I believe, what your story is, you can find moments in your life's journey where God has protected you, maybe where he's provided for you, or maybe it's even where he's brought you to the providential place of being here in this moment right now to hear truth for your life, that God is present and he is there. But in the moment and the season of the storm, no matter how good a person you are, no matter how strong you think you are, we can still well up with doubt and fear, just like the disciples. But what we have to understand today as we look at Mark 4 is that not only is Jesus, he wasn't surprised by the storm, but we also realize that Jesus was never overpowered by it. It never had the best of him. And I want you to go back to Mark 4. Pick up with me in verse 40. Jesus says to his disciples, verse 40, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and they asked each other, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Now, Jesus calms the storm, and the first thing that he does, according to Mark 4, is that he asks the disciples two questions. Now, I'm just saying that's a little strange as I personally read that, because if I would have been Jesus, and I would have woken up from my nap, and I would have walked out and looked at a squall, a thunderstorm, a toad strangler, and been like, quiet, be still, and it just stopped, okay, my response is probably going to be like, Boom! Like, did you see that? Like, what, what else you got, boys? Like, let's, let's do it again. How about another one? Like, that would have been my response. Well, I'm not Jesus. But Jesus, he, what does he do? He gives them two questions, doesn't he? He says, why are you so afraid? And do you still have no faith? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And here's what we understand about Jesus through his two questions. Catch this. Jesus wasn't worried about the storm. Jesus was worried about the disciples' hearts. Jesus wasn't worried about the storm, but he was worried about the disciples' hearts. It was never a storm issue, but it was always a heart issue. And here's the third truth that I want us to take home today about the character of Jesus, and that is that Jesus was and is always using the storm. Jesus was in Mark 4, and Jesus is in your life always using the storm. Jesus didn't question the disciples' sailing ability. He didn't question their knowledge of the weather. He didn't say, hey, guys, when the squall hit, like, what did you do? Did you run through the checklist of all those things? That's not what he did. He asked him two questions because Jesus wasn't concerned about the storm, but he was concerned about the faith of the disciples. And Jesus declared that they had no faith. Why did he do that? I think a few different reasons. Jesus could say they had no faith because they didn't believe his word. 
Jesus didn't say, hey guys, let's get in the boat and let's, I don't know, we'll do our best, 50-50 chance. Maybe we can make it across the Sea of Galilee. Maybe we don't. All right, tell your kids bye. I don't know if we're going to. No, that's not what he said. Jesus said, let's get in the boat and let's cross to the other side. But they doubted his word and they showed a lack of faith. I believe that Jesus could say they had no faith because they accused Jesus of a lack of care towards them. Right? We, we read it just a second ago. What did, what did they say when they woke Jesus up? Hey, don't you care if we drown? Like, I know you've been walking with us for all these years, and you're taking care of us, and you've done all these things, but like, what about, are you checking out now? And they showed a lack of faith. But I think there's even a third and bigger picture way that Jesus could say they had no faith because they forgot the big picture. I mean, these were the disciples who should have known that God wasn't going to allow the Messiah, his son, to go down in a boating wreck, right? Was God, was God the omnipotent, omniscient God, was he really going to allow his son, the savior of the world, to lose it all on the Sea of Galilee. But yet the disciples in this moment, somehow in their fear, their lack of faith, they bought into that, and they walked with no faith. And it was reasonable. It was reasonable for the disciples to have fear of being in the boat in the middle of the storm. But the problem was that the disciples' fear revealed, it revealed, it showed their unbelief. It showed their unbelief. And notice what Jesus did. Jesus first calms the storm. He removed the danger, and then he asked him the question. Why? Because he knew in the middle of that storm they were not in a place to answer. And he asked them these two questions because the whole time that the disciples were worried and fearful about the storm, Jesus was thinking about the disciples' belief. And Jesus was always using the storm. And church, I don't know, mom, dad, single parent, Student in the room, I don't know what storm of life you may be facing or maybe what storm you just walked out of that you look back at and you're like, I have no idea where that came from or why it was there. But as I see the character of God and Jesus in Mark 4, and as I read the truth of Scripture today, I stand confident that God never allows us to walk through a storm of life that he would not choose to use if we would allow him. Here's what Psalm 65 would say about the character of our God. Psalm 65, verse 5. You, God, you answer us with awesome and righteous deeds. You're God, our Savior. You are the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. You formed the mountains by your power. You've armed yourself with strength. You stilled the roaring of the seas and the roaring of their waves and the turmoil of the nations. God holds the storm and he holds the power to calm the storm and he is always using it in our life. Now, listen to me, listen to me. I think that sometimes, sometimes you and I walk ourselves into the storm. Sometimes we walk ourselves into the storm by living a conscious, consistent, continual life of sin. By chasing things that are not the plans and purposes of God for us. And we pursue it and we find ourselves there. And listen to me, God can still use that and he will use it to wake you up and to get your attention. He will remind you that your purpose and your plans are only fulfilled, only made whole in him. And here's what I've seen happen over and over. God will allow the boat to rock and he'll allow the wind and the waves to keep coming sometimes until you surrender. And that doesn't make him not a good God, that makes him a very merciful and loving God, that he would pursue your heart. Now, sometimes I think 
that our storms may not come as a result of sin, but God will still use them to break us down. And he will work in the midst of that until we remember that on our own, we are not strong enough. We're not. And sometimes God will use the storm to refine our character, to shape us to be more like Jesus, which is how he created us in the first place. But whatever the storm, God can always use it for his glory and for our good. But here's the foundational truth for today. If you don't catch anything or remember anything else I said in our time today, I want you to catch this right here. The answer to your security in the storm is directly connected to the answer of who is Jesus to you. I'm say that again. The answer to your security in your storm is directly connected to the answer to the question of who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? If we go back to our story in Mark 4, verse 40, I want you to see a question that gets asked. Verse 40, Jesus said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Verse 41, they are scared. They're terrified, and they ask each other. Here it is. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. The disciples, Jesus' closest followers, ask this question. Who is this? Who is this guy? See, Jesus questioned them, and what did it reveal? It revealed the lack of their own belief and understanding in who Jesus really was. However, in view of what Jesus had just done, all right, calm the storm, three words, pretty good feet. In view of that, I really think there was really only one answer to the question, was there not? Like, Jesus, you are the son of the living God, and you are who you say you are, and you can do what you say you can do. And I believe that the disciples left this moment after Jesus called the I believe they left the moment and their faith was strengthened. And they knew that he was who he said he was and he could do what he said he could do. But check this out, check this out. If they really knew that, what would it have been like if they had known that before the storm? I think their whole response could have been different. If they would have been rooted in that truth. You see, Jesus is always using the storm And often the chief way, write this down, the chief way that God uses the storm of our life is to find out what truth are you really anchored to. I don't understand why God's making me walk through. He wants to know what truth are you anchored to, Dad? Single parent, he he wants to know what are you anchoring your life to? Who do you believe that Jesus is to you? I heard a quote that put it this way. You'll see it on the screen. We can either allow the storms of life to define our view of God, or we can allow our understanding of God to shape how we view the storms of life. See, when it comes to that question, that declaration of who is Jesus to you, there's really only two options. I mean, honestly, there's really only two. There's no C, there's no D, there's no E, all of the above, this day here. No, there's really only one of two options. Either Jesus, either Jesus to you is a, is a really good idea. Like he's a great religious Sunday concept. We gather around him Christmas, Easter. Either he's a really good idea or he is Lord and leader of everything. There's really only one of two options. And hear me, if Jesus is really just one idea, if he's just a good idea in your life, 
right? Then he becomes only one of many different options that you may hook and anchor your life to. And for some people, then you latch onto the anchor of self-help. I mean, it's one of the biggest sections at the bookstore, is it not? Self-help. Some of the most viral posts and articles and blogs on social media are what? Self-help. Three easy ways to help yourself do this. Ten steps to get out of this. We buy into this idea that if we think smarter, if we try harder, if we do better, then somewhere, if we keep that up, then we'll find this place of joy and contentment. And fellas, like, can I just speak to my guys in the room for a second? We're really good at that. In, in our ego and in our independence, we go, I got this, right? I'm a man. Can I tell you something? You ain't got this, and neither do I. I've watched many a men crumble because they thought, I can do this by myself. Self-help is a lousy anchor to hook your life onto. For some people, you, you latch your life onto the anchor of money, of resources. And for some of you, your hope is in how much can I make or how much can I get that check up to or how much is in the account or how much is not in the account. And hear me, okay? I mean, managing our money wisely and saving, it matters to God a lot. We just talked about it for three whole weeks. But listen to me, money is a lousy, it is a lousy, a weak anchor to hook your hope and your foundation into. Why? Because you will never have enough. You'll never have enough. Oh yeah, man, if I could just get that check up to this amount, you'd spend all that too. You would. And you'll never find full contentment, not in money. It's a lousy anchor. For some of you, man, for some of you it becomes about status or image. Students in the room, man, this is a huge one for you in our culture today. Mom and dad, you're not far behind. I mean, we now live in a culture where we get so caught up in, in the comparison game of stacking our life up to the lives of everybody else and go, how do we measure up? It's about how many clicks does our picture get on Instagram or how many friends do we have on Facebook or check this, okay, how does my physical image stack up next to so-and-so? Can I, can I just wake you up to this reality today? It is a lousy, weak, false hope to hook your life onto. It is so fleeting. But yet, it's the draw of the world. It's the pull of our sinful nature. It's a lousy anchor of image and status. For some of you, maybe you latch onto the anchor of relationships. And maybe, maybe you're convinced, like, if I could just get that guy or that girl, that, that man or that woman to go out with me, or if, we, if I could just get married, like, if I could arrive there, then there would be contentment for me. Or listen, married folks in the room, and sometimes we get so guilty of placing these unrealistic expectations on our spouse, thinking that they can solve that in us. And listen to me, and then when they don't live up to it, we get crushed. Why? Because relationships, people, are a lousy anchor to hook the hope and the foundation of our life onto and the list goes on and on and on, work and power and prestige, all those things, lousy anchors. They're lousy anchors in the storm. And we can spend so much time and energy and money trying to hook our lives onto all these different things that will never really hold in the middle of the storm. But listen to me, if Jesus is really just a good idea to you today, if he's just a concept, if he's a Christmas, Easter, hey, grandma used to talk about him. If that's who he is and that's all he is to you, then that's what your life looks like. 
that it gets tossed here and there by the storm because there is no real uh, secure and stable anchor that you're hooked on to. We said there's two realities. Either Jesus is a good idea to you or he's leader and Lord of everything, of everything. And if he is, then that means that you've put Jesus in the captain chair of your life and he now drives the boat, if you will. And there's been a surrender of my plans and my purposes for God's plans and God's purposes for me. And in our house, we call it an exchange of old life for new life that's only found in Christ. And if that's you, then listen, here's what hope, here's what hope gives us today in Scripture. Jesus is the anchor of truth and grace and hope for your life. And when the storms hit and when the waters rise, he becomes an absolute anchor that will not only, here it is, not only allow you to survive the storms of life, but he gives us the power and the strength to stand in the middle of the storms of life. And here's what Jesus himself would say in John chapter 16, verse 33. Ah, Jesus, I have told you these things so that in me, in me, you may have peace. He called it, in this world you will have trouble. The storm will come, but take heart, take heart. I have overcome the world. See, Jesus is the only one who can promise us peace in the midst of the struggle. Only one who can make that statement. Why? Because he's the only one who holds power over the storms and troubles and the struggles and the tension and the turmoil of this life. And in Christ, you begin to realize that, yes, the storm comes. Jesus said it would. Yes, the waters may rise. Jesus said they would. But, man, I have a tested and true anchor in Christ that I can hook my life on to And I begin to realize that even in the middle of the storm, God is doing something in me and through me and around me that is greater than what this mind and heart can understand. But I take hope today because God is being glorified in me and I am being made to be more like him, which is the chief goal of the end of my life anyway. And so often we want God to deliver us from the storm and so often God wants to deliver us through the storm. And Paul would put it this way in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Look at this verse. And we know that in, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Now, we read that verse and we put it on the picture frame and we hang it on the wall and we hear that and we think good means pretty and perfect and painless. But sometimes God views good as him working to achieve a purpose in us that may lead us through the storm, that may have the waters rise, that may have the storm set in. But even in the midst of it, when we are in Christ, we rest in this hope that he isn't surprised by it. We are, but he's not. He isn't overpowered by it. We are, but he's not. And he is always using it in us for his glory and our good. Jesus is always, he's always using the storm if we trust him. And the final bit of proof that I give you today is this. God proves over and over that he is the master of using difficult situations, the storms, to bring about eternal good. And ultimately, we have to look no further, no further than the cross. Because only God could use the storm of the cross to create the beauty of redemption. 
Only God could use the helpless state of the cross to give us hope in him. Only God could use the gruesomeness of the cross to give this gift of grace to us. And only God could take the torture of the cross and create an unshakable anchor of truth in him. And listen to me, church. If our God, if our God has created that much eternal good out of that much chaos and struggle, then I pose to you this question. What might he do through the storms of your life too? Let's pray together. Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, visit www.theexchange.cc. Now go, be the church, and give life.